Welcome to the Debbie Big Board, part of the Rookie Big Board Network. I'm your host, Skip Newton. Due to the challenge of scheduling around our lives, I am once again flying solo tonight. I promise you that Matt Cooper and I are still on good terms. It's it's not that we're avoiding each other, I swear it. We will be back together eventually. On today's show, I'm going to be answering some questions that I got from our members of the Discord. So Asta asked for some input earlier today, and they came through in spades. So really excited to get to these questions. But first, folks, it is draft season. Get ahead of your league mates with in-depth and consistently updated rookie rankings, supporting Dynasty and Devi rankings, the 2024 Rookie Guide, and access to the RBB Discord where you can get personalized trade, draft, and roster construction advice. The Rookie Big Board is a proven resource that was ahead of everyone else on Justin Jefferson, identified Puka Nakua as the best sleeper prospect of 2023, and helped patrons get great fantasy football value on Justin Herbert, CeeDee Lamb, Chris Olave, Sam Laporta, and many more. You can get access to the Rookie Big Board resources for as low as $5 a month, or save 15% with an annual subscription. That is cheaper than one night at an Airbnb in South Carolina, where my wife and son and I are traveling Super Bowl weekend to watch my daughter play in an Ultimate Frisbee tournament. And she doesn't know we're coming, so don't spoil the surprise. The only way she's going to find out is if one of us slips up or she happens to listen to this podcast, but I really doubt that that's going to happen. All right, let's get to these questions. The first one is from... Suri, in a startup auction draft, what is the general budget breakdown and roster construction setup? Like aim for three QBs or four, five wide receivers, etc. And what is your thought process on reaching past your budget to get someone? I am so excited about this question, which is why I put it number one on the list because I've been doing auctions for 25 years. I I love auctions. I'm in a lot of different types of auctions. And I'm going to start it off with with just some general advice and and strategy that I use on your what I'll call your traditional live style auction where just one player is nominated and on the board until that player is won and then the next guy gets to nominate a player and everybody bids on him until that player is won and it just keeps going until the auction's over. So depending on the size of your league, you know, it can take anywhere from two to four hours, whatever, right? So the number one rule for auctions, and this is true of any auction style, is you have to know the rules and the settings in your league. It can make a huge difference on player value. If it's a 10-team league versus a 12-team or 14-team, obviously the, the more teams there are in your league, the, the more that those higher-priced guys are going to go for because you got more people bidding on them. And it's going to be shallower rosters because just the vast number of players. I mean, that's true of, of any style of, of fantasy league, regardless if it's auction or just a, a draft. But pay attention to the scoring. I mean, that is significant. You know, the, the roster construction matters too. You know, scoring, is it tight end premium? That's going to kick up the value for tight ends. Um, is it six passing points for a quarterback or just four you know, those kinds of things, what kind of, you know, yardage you get, are there any bonuses, et cetera, et cetera. Do you lose points for turnovers, all that sort of stuff, but know the rules. Roster construction matters. Are you starting nine guys, 10, 11, 12? You know, super flex obviously is huge. If, if it's a one QB league, then, then I'm fading quarterback and not spending big money there. I, I will find 
a couple of guys that are going to be good enough and, and get me through. And I'm not going to go super cheap, but I'm also not going to spend big money on one of the top, you know, three, four dynasty quarterbacks because I just don't see the value in, in doing that in an auction. So rules and settings are massive. You need to have a plan. It's always good to have a plan going in, you know, kind of budget, you know, what you expect to, to spend per position, you know, ideally, right? But you have to be flexible because auctions change very quickly. The, the player value is going to change as soon as money starts to get spent. And when the, you know, the names start to go, you know, the top names at each position, that establishes value for those, those top players or those top tiers. And you have to pay attention to that and, and adjust accordingly. So you really need to, to be flexible. And I mentioned, you know, the, the top players in tiers, you really want to rank your, your players in tiers. I think this is especially important. It, it matters for, for regular drafts, but it really matters for auctions. Because one thing you're going to notice is when the, when the last player is put up for auction in a tier. So, you know, you got your tier one quarterbacks. Let's say there's, you know, four guys in there and the first three go odds are pretty good that when that fourth guy gets nominated, he's going to go for more than at least two of the other guys. It's just the way it works that the last guy in a tier it can go for more because everybody wants to get that top tier player and they all know that he's the only one left. So pay attention to that. You know, if you if you want to get a tier one quarterback, you might want to grab one of the first guys that gets nominated and not hold out. Of course, depending on how high those guys go. There's also a phenomenon for live auctions that that's really interesting. And I swear to you, this exists and it's real. And that is called the cold room syndrome. Right at the start of the draft, everybody has all their money and people can be afraid to put out big, big auction numbers on guys. They, they, they hold their money. They don't want to overspend. They're scared to, to make the big, the big commitment to a guy early in the auction. And you'll get, you'll get this, this kind of this cold room feeling where there's not as much bidding. That's a great opportunity at the very start of the auction to get really good players at a bargain. I, I've seen it happen so many times and it doesn't last really long. Typically where it'll be, it might be just the first round of players, it might be even the just the first four, five, six guys. But once the room kind of gets warmed up, then that goes away, and then people start spending money now that a few guys have gone. So don't be afraid to jump on a guy early if you like him, and there's a good chance that you're going to get him at, at, a, at a great price, at a great bargain, right? So I, I like that strategy a lot. I've seen it pretty much in every startup I've been in, so it's it's really cool, fun to take advantage of. Obviously, a lot of people go with the strategy of nominating players that you don't want. Get other people to spend money on guys you don't want. I mean, I think that goes without saying, but you know, go go ahead and do that. Don't be afraid to go get your guy, though. If you love a guy, bid on him. You're going to be happy that you have that stud player. I was in a startup auction last year, and I ended up spending a little more than I was hoping for on Amon Ra St. Brown. I can tell you, as Amon Ra was one of the key players to lead me to a championship, I did not regret what I spent on Amon Ra St. Brown. Not even one bit. So go get your guy. Don't be afraid of that. Especially if it's a young stud at a position where you know you're likely to have him for five years or more. I mean, that's a it's a great, great guy to add to your dynasty roster. 
I also want to caution people, don't be too aggressive bidding on guys just to bid them up, just to price and force. You could end up getting stuck with a guy you don't want, and t- I'm telling you, that's not a good feeling, and it can it can put you on tilt a little bit, and then you know maybe that impacts the rest of your auction. So be careful there. I I typically will do a little bit, but yeah, I like to just kind of bid on the guys that I want and, and stay away and let other people bid on them if I'm not interested. So uh, positional strategy, because that was you know the the point of the question here. If it's a super flex league at quarterback, I want to come out of there with two good starters. You know, in this this auction startup I mentioned previously, like from last year, I got Josh Allen early, where I felt you know a tier one quarterback, and I got him at value because it was pretty early in the auction. I got Justin Fields for a little bit less than what I was expecting him to go for. So that was a bit of a surprise. And then I grabbed Derek Carr later on because I wanted a third guy. I know Derek Carr's not, you know, a stud by any stretch of the imagination, but you want to have at least three guys that you can plug in in, in a super flex league. Of course, there there's injuries, there's bye weeks, but you don't you don't want to get stuck with, you know, one really good guy and then maybe one meh quarterback you know like a Daniel Jones or somebody like that and now you're you're struggling to find another quarterback it's really best in a super flex league if you can get your quarterbacks get those set so you don't have to worry about it for however long those quarterbacks are going to last I like that strategy a lot running back I'm the exact opposite I am totally fine saving money on running back if you can and and just go for a lot of players at depth that are low cost guys, you know, guys that that haven't had the opportunity to break out, and maybe they will. You know, if you if you like Tank Bigsby, he he's a perfect example of a, of a player who he could get the opportunity this year. Something happens with ETN, you know, whatever, and all of a sudden he's getting sixty five to seventy percent of the touches, and he's an RB one. I mean, that can happen. I mean, Kyron Williams happened this past season. So we've seen that. We've seen so many other running backs, you know, just ride the bench because there's a, a good starter in front of them, and then the starter gets hurt, and they come in, and all of a sudden, Zamir White looks good. So I like to get a lot of depth at running back, find value there, and just make sure that I can kind of plug and play them in, you know, as they get the opportunity, and really save my money for the aforementioned quarterback position in Superflex, and then wide receivers, absolutely. Get your guys, get as many studs as you can. You're not going to regret it. You're going to overpay for the top, top guys. I mean, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, they're going to go huge. I'm sure there will be other guys up there, but you know, whoever you love, again, you're not going to, you're not going to regret it. So get wide receivers. You always want at least one more, you know, solid guy than there are starters. And, and that includes flex, right? I mean, you you don't want to, you know, if you're starting 11 players, you don't want to have just 11 really good players and then a bunch of trash that I, I think you're going to end up regretting that in the long run. So, you know, leave some room for those for those depth pieces that, that can help you, you know, through injuries or maybe they become tradable assets, whatever, right? Tight end is another position that I like to get a good one and then I don't have to worry about it. Even in a non-tight end premium league, I, I still think it's an advantage over your opponent's if you if you get a, a a stud like a you know even you know Kelsey obviously over the last few years but he's getting older but you know Laporta is a big name of course so you know get guys like that and then you don't have to worry about tight end they they can be hard to hit and take years to develop so this year was <laughs> definitely an exception to that but the last thing on this 
there's always value at the end of the auction. You know, people have spent a ton of money and it's nice if you can to to be the number one or number two money guy at the you know near the end and you're now in control of the board. That is a huge advantage. I'm not saying you want to underspend early. You don't want to miss out on on great players and all of a sudden you're stuck with so much more money and there's nobody left. Don't do that. That's a, that's a huge mistake in auctions. But if you're sitting there at the end where you've got some good players already, but you've been a little more stingy than others, man, you can be in a great position to to clean up on on value guys at the end. You know, for slow auctions where you know you have that 12 hour clock on a guy or or 16 or man if your commissioner is just cruel and unusual and you get this 24 hour clock nonsense be careful really careful not to bid on guys that you don't want you you your money can get tied up on these guys because you're trying to price enforce and all of a sudden you don't have money to bid on the ones that are out there that you do want to bid on so those especially i I'd pretty much avoid bidding on on players that I'm not interested in. You'll you'll see plenty of other guys will 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 bid up the players, so you don't have to worry about that, especially when it's a long clock. And and the other thing with the with the long clock and, and the many players on the board, just don't get worked up on getting redlined. And redlined, for those of you that aren't aware, means the player finally gets close to to going off. And somebody bids them up and, and overbids them and now the clock restarts. It it happens. Um a lot of a lot of times in these slow auctions, you know, people won't check the board for hours. They'll they'll go out, they'll look, and they'll see, okay, there's nobody that I want to bid on that's coming up for eight hours. And so they just walk away. And then they come back, you know, seven hours later and say, All right, I gotta start bidding on a couple of guys so they don't they don't go for too lower because I want them. It's just it's just the way people are, right? We all have lives, so try not to get upset about it. I know some of us do. It happens to the best of us, but you gotta kind of let that go. All right, great question. I hope this auction stuff helped. If not, reach out to me on the Discord. I would love to talk more about it because I love auctions. Next question from Nathan Thompson. It's a strategy question, and I love strategy questions, so thank you. Usually, the tiebreaker between two close to equal talents is who has the better situation. How would you rank the specific elements of the situation? For example, for a receiver, how would you order quarterback, scheme, play caller, and role in the offense in order of importance when it comes to their situation? That's a good question. Obviously, the scheme matters more than anything else. It It's just so important as far as, you know, again, we're talking about equal talents, right? I mean, talent is number one. Talent will win out, you know, almost almost across the board. There, there are exceptions to that. We'll throw out a few of those. But scheme is huge regardless of position. Um, for example, you know, you'll see like really talented tight ends and they're in an offense where they just don't throw the ball much to tight ends. And so they, they get wasted, even though they're very talented. Kyle Pitts is the obvious one, right? I mean, they're just not using him, but another one, David Njoku before this year, he was very athletic, very talented. And he just never realized that from point scoring perspective until this year, they finally started throwing the ball a lot and look what happened. I mean, the guy was top three tight end. I mean, it was, it was awesome. So that matters a lot and you you need the offense to use the tight end. Or if you have a a great wide receiver or a really talented wide receiver and they just continue to run the ball at will, he doesn't get as many opportunities. And that can be a real 
a real problem. Um, play caller, I'm not, I'm not really gonna break that away from scheme because I think they just go hand in hand. I mean, the the scheme and the play caller are, are in my opinion, basically the same thing. So I don't necessarily worry about that. But the role is is the next one that is, that is obviously significant. You know, for example, backup running backs are only going to score points if the starter gets hurt, which makes them really cheap guys to stash on your bench if you have the roster space. And I I love hoarding these guys. If again, if you have big rosters and you can afford that, I think that's that's the way to go at running back. We've seen year after year so many running backs get hurt that they're eventually going to get their chance. I mean, it's it's almost a foregone conclusion. It's so rare to see a running back, a starter, you know, one of the studs just stay healthy and play every game. I mean, I, I'm not even sure I could think of one guy off the top of my head this year where that was the case. They all missed at least a game or a significant time because of injury. So those, those are guys, you know, that obviously they're not going to score points for you if they're just the backup and they're not getting on the field, but they could, if you like the talent, if given the opportunity or something happens. So there's a good chance that will happen. I tend to, to be careful with the change of pace running backs. So the reason for this is they always look great when they're the change of pace guy and people think, okay, they, they're better than the starter. And then maybe eventually they they get that opportunity. They become the guy and they don't pan out. They're not nearly as dominant as we hoped or thought they would be. And the reason is because sometimes they're just a change of pace guy. That's all there are. That is their ceiling. They're very good at it, but they're very good at limited touches in the right situation. So even when the other guy gets hurt, they're they're not they're not necessarily going to just jump in and be a, a workhorse back. I think they're you know there's a reason in a lot of these cases that they haven't been given that role, and it's because they're just not designed for it for whatever reason. For wide receivers, the, the quarterback does matter. It's it's obviously not something you just completely ignore, but we've seen elite wide receivers just absolutely excel with with anybody if they're in the right scheme. I mean, regardless of who's under center, uh, Justin Jefferson this year, when he came back from injury and Cousins was out, he was just fine. I mean, he was balling with Mullins, it, and and that's because of the scheme and that's because of the player and the talent that he is. Garrett Wilson hasn't had a good quarterback ever and he continues to get a ton of targets yeah we know he can be better from a production standpoint but that's not because of him that's you know just you know obviously so in this case the QB did matter but but he still gets the targets regardless of quarterback so you know I'm not dinging him in that regard and then if you look at it kind of from the other perspective and we've all probably been guilty of this you know we, we bring up these wide receivers on Kansas City because Pat Mahomes is sitting there and Tyreek Hill was traded. And really, the truth was, until Rishi Rice came this season, there was no good wide receiver from a fantasy perspective after Hill left, regardless of the fact that they had you know one of the best, if not the best quarterback in football in Pat Mahomes. So the, the role matters, but this is a, you know getting back to talent as well. And there just wasn't anybody talented enough to, to get – consistent targets until they drafted Rishi Rice. And then after about midway through the season, he became the guy. And now look at him. He looks fantastic. Definitely one of the top rookie wide receivers and moving up the dynasty rankings for sure. 
I will discuss a couple more questions in a minute, but first, I want to make sure you know that the Rookie Big Board is now partnered with Underdog Fantasy Football. This is the best app for fantasy contests. They are running 2023 NFL playoff contests. Of course, that's down to the Super Bowl now, but we know there's tons of Super Bowl stuff going on, as well as daily contests for the NBA, NHL, and more. You can join the RBB crew on Underdog by using the promo code RBB. It will get you a 100% match on your first deposit and help us grow. All right, another one from Raza Delta. I have a rebuilding roster in DCL2. That's one of the many leagues that Matt Hicks runs here. Of course, the owner and leader of the RBB. I've got some NFL talent with Pitts, Higgins, Tajay Spears, and Charbonnet. It's a long process, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on some of the 2026 Debbie guys I have. Guys like Justice Haynes, Ruben Owens, Jonte Cook, Zechariah Branch, and Nico Ayamaleva. Any names I should dangle out there to prepare for potential roster cuts? So it's a good question, and it's one that I know that I've talked about with Matt Cooper, you know, strategy around what do you do with, with Debbie assets? You know, when do you sell? When do you hold? When do you buy? That kind of thing. You know, looking at these guys specifically, Branch is a stud, so I'm I'm holding on to him because unless you can get a proven asset, I mean, he's the guy. And I know I know he's two years away, so that's longer to wait. But that also means that his value is going to go up, and so I'm waiting at least a year before I'm going to dangle him out there because I don't think you're going to get what you want for a top prospect like that. And I would want you know kind of big time return because I think his value is, is increasing. You know, once he gets closer to being draft eligible, then he's really going to become valuable. Haynes, Owens, and Cook, they're they're all, you know, top 12 uh, 2006 Debbie assets. So they're they're all holds for me. And the reason why I don't want to move them now is because they didn't really change in value this last season because they just didn't have enough playing time. So there wasn't enough to really get excited about them. There wasn't anything that that made you concerned and, and makes you want to you know, get rid of them. But I'm holding on those guys because I don't think you're going to get what you want in return to make it worth it. Nico Ayamaleva is the guy I'd throw out there to see what you can get. Quarterbacks are really tough to hit, and people are extremely high on them. I mean, I'm looking at the rookie big board rankings Matt Hicks, number, you know, year 2006, he's got Nico number two in that class. So there you go. And, and, and Matt isn't on an island on this guy. There's a lot of people that love Nico. So you might be able to get some pretty good return, even though he hasn't played a ton and he's still two years away. So that would be the one guy I would throw out there just to see what maybe you could get you know, is is there a is there a team in the lower part of the league that has a a really good you know stud player? Maybe not a stud, but a really good player where you can add that guy to your roster for Nico, or maybe you can get a you know that player plus if he's a little older. Something to think about. Um, but but yeah, I'm 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 looking for a really good player out of him, or I'm just gonna hold because he's gonna be the starter next year, and that probably means his value goes up unless he doesn't play well but in that offense my bet is he's gonna play well and you know again he's looked really good and a lot of people are high on him so as far as, as far as the NFL guys on the roster I'm holding on all those guys um Pitt's value is 
is probably you know is definitely at an all time low. So you don't want to trade him now. And scheme change coming, right? We I mean we just talked about this. So the odds are it's gonna be better. I, I mean it, I can't imagine it getting any worse. So I'm gonna gamble on he's gonna get more targets and then his value is gonna go up. Higgins could end up with another team. And what if that team makes him the wide receiver one? That could be really good for Higgins. We've all seen when he's healthy, he looks extremely good. So I'm not moving him yet. I'm going to wait for free agency, see where he lands, and then you can make a decision on Higgins. Spears could be the wide, the running back one in Tennessee. So I'm holding on him. I want to see that play out. If somebody you know is already willing to gamble on that and can give you a big return, then go for it. But otherwise, he's a good hold. Charbonnet didn't see enough touches last year. Obviously, big time disappointing for those of us that were Charbonnet fans, and we thought that he would get more opportunity. But you know, there's a coaching change, could be a scheme change. Who knows? So he could he could end up getting more chances in Seattle. So I'm I'm holding on there as well. Uh, one more. Question now a couple more, but I'm gonna try to get through these quick. How will how have NIL and the transfer portal affected Debbie? This is from Brian F. Do we just bet on talent slash profile even harder? You know, NIL will keep a few guys in college a year longer, but it's really hard to predict what's gonna happen. So it's it's hard for me to change my strategy around Debbie a whole lot because of NIL. It's it's pretty rare for an obvious top fifty pick to stay in school instead of coming out early. I mean, we've we've seen it happen, but we've seen it happen every year, you know, before NIL. So I'm not I'm not changing changing my Debbie strategy because of NIL. The transfer portal. I mean, it's crazy. It's impossible to know what will happen. I think we gotta we gotta approach it like like the NFL free agency. And I mean, you, you kind of answered it in the question, right? You, you just trust the talent. And the profile, you know, even harder. I, I like that strategy. I think it's a good one. You know, some things to think about depending on, you know, what the player has done, where his talent level is, and where he's going. I mean, that's where you really got to do the analysis as it's happening. You know, for talented players who aren't performing well, so the ones that were highly ranked prospects and they just haven't done well at their current schools, you know, as soon as they enter the portal, this gives them a chance to increase their value. And, you can either see an immediate increase depending on landing spot and then try to move them at that point, or you can gamble that that, in, that new landing spot's going to give that player the opportunity to show just how good they are. You know, Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. are two obvious guys whose transfers and then play at their new schools made them much higher ranked prospects than they were, you know, before they before they transferred. For talented players who are performing well. Then there's likely no change at all because they're they're probably just doing a lateral move or they're transferring up. So Quinchon Judkins to Ohio State that doesn't change my value of him whatsoever. It doesn't change my value of Henderson, who stayed in school and is still at Ohio State. In you know from a Debbie perspective either, they're both still top-rated Debbie running backs. Is their is their workload going to be a little bit different? Perhaps sure, but. We're talking Devi. We're not talking college fantasy, so I don't really care. Uh, campus to Canton, I'm still holding on to them because they're still really good. For lesser talented players who are performing well, a transfer up can be huge for their value. That can be that can be the big one, right? Where they've, you know, maybe they're a, a group of five player and they're transferring to a power five school, you know, or, or a conference improvement, right? 
that can mean something. Now the the level of talent against them is better. And if they can still show what they've shown at the other school, the previous college, I mean, that's wheels up. And there, there are definitely talented players out there. So those guys that that move up, you know, transfer up through the portal, they can get a, a definite value increase. And the last one really quick here from Bex, can we get a quick 2007, uh, 27 top five? So this is the incoming freshman class. You know, I used to spend quite a bit of time trying to review high school film and it's, it's difficult to really gauge how good a prospect is. There are some things that you can see, but there's a lot that you can't, you know, for example, you know, for a running back, you know, you'll see highlights where the guy will, will get the ball. He'll run off tackle, turn the corner and run 70 yards for a touchdown untouched. Well, what, what did that tell me when I'm trying to scout this guy? He, he ran where the play was designed to go. So that really doesn't tell me anything much about his vision. He wasn't touched. So I have no idea on his contact balance. I have no idea on his elusiveness shiftiness, that kind of thing, footwork. All I really know is he went where he's supposed to go and he was fast enough to take it to the house. You know, maybe maybe I could see a burst. I I tended to grade running back burst on plays up the middle that 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 hole is there for just a little bit and they hit it fast. Or when they get into the clear, you know, maybe after making a move, how quickly do they accelerate to top speed, you know, after facing contact. So when I'm looking at running back film, I'm looking for contact or I'm looking for a guy that has to change direction and speed because the the, the play didn't go as perfectly as it was going to go. I mean, anybody can turn the corner and run fast in high school, I think. So that doesn't tell me much. I'm, I'm probably not going to do as much high school film analysis, but I'll, but I'll look just at some of them. Um, quarterbacks, you know, you can you can often tell like arm strength and maybe touch if they if they show a lot of different types of plays, so that can be nice. I mean, accuracy depending on how open the wide receiver is. Sometimes the wide receivers are so open, it's like, well, okay, anybody can hit them there. Um, so tough to gauge quarterbacks. I mean, they're really hard to 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 know for sure. Mobility is the one thing that you usually can spot. I mean, you can just tell if a guy is quick and can you know get get out of trouble in a hurry. If he throws well on the run, does he keep his eyes downfield or is he just looking to run as soon as he you know breaks the pocket? So that's something you can spot. Wide receivers, I tend to look, you know, are they using their hands to catch the ball? Are they body catchers? How do they adjust to bad throws? Do they make, you know, really difficult catches, you know, aware on the sidelines, that kind of thing? Um, sometimes we'll see highlights where it's just all deep balls. And yeah, they look like they created separation deep means they're probably fast, but, you know, can they run a route that's not a deep route or a, or one of those quick ones where, they, you know, the wide receiver screen where they just throw it to him right away? I want to see routes, you know, intermediate routes, and you don't get a lot in that in, in high school. And then for tight ends, honestly, the only thing I'm looking at is, is athleticism, and I want to see elite athleticism for me to get excited about a incoming freshman tight end. So the top five, I can't give you, you know, from my – early analysis yet. I mean, there's just the names that we've heard, but you know, Hicks has his out there. You know, everybody, everybody's talking about Jeremiah Smith, you know, the number one wide receiver going to Ohio state, six, three, two, 14 is an absolute stud. So I got to believe that 
if if there's that much smoke around a guy, I mean, if everyone's talking about how fantastic he is, it's probably true. You know, there's Cam Coleman, another wide receiver, Bryant Wesco, Micah Hudson, Ryan Wingo, Ryan Williams. I, I need to look into these guys. Jarrett Gibson and and Taylor Tatum are running backs. The quarterback class I don't think is as outstanding as it has been, but you know, there's a couple of guys, uh, Julian Sayan, DJ Lagway, Dylan Rayola. So I gotta I gotta again look at some of this early will probably I'll probably start getting to that as we get closer to March and I can give a better answer. Sorry, I can't totally give you a top five, but I know Hicks has his out there. So that's a good enough place to start. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you have not already, do all of us a favor and leave a five-star review on whichever podcast app you are using. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss any of the RBB action. Matt will be back next week. We will Get one going. We already got a topic lined up, so we should be ready to go. We will talk to you then. Have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Take care.